We are finishing up our series on prayer. So it's been a short sort of series in January, a four-week series where we've been covering different aspects of prayer uh, because our desire has been and our heart has been to really stimulate prayer within the life of the church family. Now, I imagine all of us, whether we're Christians or not, have prayed at some point in our lives. Maybe it might be when a family member is ill, might have been when we lose a job, when we feel lonely or we feel at our lowest and we reach out to this, this being, maybe this person we know as our Father God or just as this higher power, we might reach out in prayer and say, please help me, I need your help right now. I was reading about a guy called Henry, 64 years of age. He said that he prays every night kneeling by his bed despite not being a Christian. He says that I worry about it quite a lot. Is it some kind of insurance policy? Is it superstition or is it something more real? Asked if he believed in God, he said, I I don't know, but I'd describe myself as on the skeptical end of agnosticism. So sort of agnostic, atheist, sort of somewhere in the middle there, I guess. Um, He says, I certainly wouldn't classify myself as religious. Maybe you can relate to something of that, of shooting up prayers or praying in those desperate moments. Now, we're all familiar with and to a certain degree comfortable with praying on our own, whether we're a Christian or not. But today we're going to see what the Bible has to say about gathering with others to pray. Now, we might call this corporate prayer. I don't really like the phrase corporate prayer because corporate has this sense of like corporation and business sense of it. Um, It doesn't communicate the sense of family or brothers and sisters in Christ. um, But I'm sort of, as I've been prepping, I've been really struggling to find another word. Um, So please just uh, come up with suggestions. um, Let me know and we'll start using uh, a different word because... I think something that communicates the togetherness, but the family would be much more uh, beneficial. But anyway, if I refer to corporate prayer throughout, I'm really referring to our, our gatherings with other Christians to pray. Now, I have two aims this morning. The first is to hopefully show you from God's word and persuade you, uh, and as well from church history, of the primacy of corporate prayer, so that you will never view the prayer gatherings of our church the same again. So just hopefully lift your eyes as we look at scripture. Okay, let's, let's see, like, is this just an extracurricular thing in the life of the church, or is this something of, of great primacy, primacy and centrality in the life of our church? And the second aim that I have, and our prayer really um, together, is that, you, that each one of us, including myself, that each one of us will determine to take a step forward in our participation in and confidence in prayer, in corporate prayer, not just as an individual, but with other believers gathered together with the purpose of seeing God's glory brought forth. So those are my two aims. Why am I talking about it today? Well, is it because we want to look successful as a church? No. Is it because we want you to feel guilt-tripped into coming along to meetings and gatherings? No. Is it to make us as leaders look good? Because if we, you know, say come to a meeting and then everyone comes, that, you know, would make us look good, I guess. No. (laughs) None of that is our heart. We want to bring the issue of corporate prayer 
um, really to the forefront of our life as a church because corporate prayer is on par with preaching and teaching as a priority in the life of the church. You see that in Acts 6 where the elders are like, look, prayer and, um, bring, and the word, two absolute vital parts of a healthy church. Number two, praying together is essential for bringing forth God's plans and purposes in our lives and in the life of the church. And thirdly, I think we want to just bring this um, to the forefront, really, because of the tendency among believers, including us, none of us are immune to this, but the tendency among believers to think of prayer gatherings as the extracurricular activity in the church, the optional extra for the super holy people or the committed people, or the people who can get out of bed a little bit earlier. It's for, it's for the other people. It's good to have, but it's optional. Not important enough for me to reorganize my life around it or to prioritize my life or to think, oh, maybe I should do my life a little bit differently to make room for corporate prayer. This won't be an easy message, I'm just <laughs> afraid. Um, okay. The truth is that God, the good news is that God has sovereignly ordained, so ordained, he has made it like his will, his, this is his purpose, the way that he works. He's sovereignly ordained the corporate praying of a church such that his mighty workings increase exponentially and his purposes in the life of the church and on earth are accelerated when we pray together. This is not a message to minimize personal prayer. Instead, it is to show us that personal prayer alone will not result in the working of God to the degree that is needed for spiritual transformation in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in our nation. We need corporate prayer. We need to be a church who gather together to pray. It's vital for the effectiveness of the mission. So we're going to just look at two areas. We're going to see that praying together was modeled and practiced by Jesus Christ. And then we're going to see a, that praying together was a key part of the early church, the life of the church as we see in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, because that gives us then a picture really for what God's intention is for the, the church. Okay, firstly, praying together was modeled and practiced by Jesus Christ. Now, the disciples learned the way of Jesus directly from the master himself. Everything that the disciples received from Jesus was A-grade, perfect teaching. It was Great teaching, and it was also modeled. He was the absolute master. And so everything that Jesus said about prayer was just the absolute gold material on prayer. Like it's just, we need to take that as our, our, um, our not just, well, just our, uh, our model, essentially, for how we are to pray. There are 37 verses in the Gospels that help us understand Jesus' approach to prayer, 
Jesus often prayed on his own. He often went to a lonely place. He often took himself away from the crowds before he came back to minister to them. But out of the 37 instances uh, of prayer, 33 of them refer to praying with others. So that's a lot. 33 out of the 37. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. Okay, just a little test to see whether we live in an individualistic culture. Who thinks that's just talking about them, or thought that was just, say, like you individually, if you pray, if you ask enough, if you pray enough, if you seek enough? Who thought that? I mean, I'm in this, my hand is up. Yeah, okay, maybe the rest of you know your Greek a little bit better than me. Um, that grit, the you's in there, keep asking and it will be given to you, keep searching and you will find, keep knocking and the door will be open to you. It's plural. So it's the faith of those who gather together. Man, okay. <laughs> That's good news. That, like, I need to hear that. That encourages me because it's like, okay, I'm not just, I don't just have to muster this up myself. Actually, I can join with others and be encouraged by their faith. We can keep asking together. We can spur one another on. I need that help. You get that sense just, if you're like me, of just seasons in your life where you know like you've prayed for things maybe in your personal life and just maybe at home, um, and then you've given up. And you've, you've just like, maybe it's been years, maybe it's praying for a family member to be saved, to come to know Jesus. Maybe you've given up. Maybe it's to pray for healing for someone or for yourself, and you just think, oh man, I've not been healed so far, so I'm going to give up. The beauty of gathering together in corporate prayer regularly as a church is that you can't, it's, it's much harder to let each other off the hook because you, you, people pick up like, why have we not prayed about that this time or the last few times? Let's pick that up again. Or let's, or people might just come and say, yeah, let's pray for that again. And their faith then spurs the rest of us on. Like we need that. Okay, so keep asking, it'll be given to you. Keep searching, you'll find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. As we gather together to pray, that's what we're doing together. Matthew 18, verse 19 says, Again, I assure you, this is Jesus speaking, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. This is an agreement that is in line with God's will. But Jesus could have said there, if anyone asks, if you're there on your own and you ask, or whenever you pray in your quiet place, he doesn't say that. Instead, he deliberately chooses to emphasize a group gathered for prayer. He goes, obviously, for the smallest group. I think he's just like, okay, it's more than one gathered together to pray. In Corinthians, it talks about um, 
Paul talks about an answer to prayer that he receives because of the prayers of many. It's the only point in the New Testament where it talks about answered prayer as a result of like lots of people praying. So I think like between two and many, that's corporate prayer. There's this sense of togetherness, agreement, unity within the body, seeking God together, purposefully setting aside time to come to the one who can, the only one who can answer our prayers. Now, there are so many examples of how corporate prayer was the springboard for the sweeping movements of God over the years. I'll just mention one. In 1857, America was riding the wave of a strong economy. And as tends to be true in times of prosperity, it showed a radical decrease of interest in the things of God. There was a layman named Jeremiah Lamphere whose concern led to a call for prayer. He tacked up notices in New York City calling for a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays from noon till one at a rented space on Fulton Street. The first prayer meeting was on September the 23rd, 1857. Six people came, and they didn't arrive till just before 12.30. The next week, the attendance jumped to 20, and they jumped the week after. Then on October the 10th, the stock market crashed. Financial panic ensued, and trouble had its humbling effect, and the hearts of many people turned to spiritual matters. It wasn't long until up to 50,000 businessmen were meeting every day in New York City to pray at noon. By week 15, the meetings moved from weekly to daily. In 1858, this prayer movement leaped to every major city in America. The Second Great Awakening swept America. Estimates are that a million Americans out of a population of 30 million at that time were converted to Jesus in less than two years. And it all started with prayer. Amazing. I could tell a similar, I mean, that was a load of businessmen, I guess, at that time. They were available during the day to do that, not looking after the kids. But I could tell a similar story of women praying again in America for the prohibition of, of alcohol in America. Uh, all the lots of the men out drinking in the saloons, the uh, the pubs, uh, just wasting away their lives. And the women thought, "What on earth are we going to do to sort this nation out? It's just gone to to pot." So they prayed. They prayed outside the saloons. They just went and prayed. Many many women praying, and as a result, just saloon after saloon, just. Shut down again and again. Amazing. J. Edwin Orr says that no great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. So the apostles were learning all of this, this the importance of prayer directly from their master. And then they pass that on to us in the form of the New Testament. So let's turn our attention to that. Okay, the book of Acts records the mighty works of God for and through his church in its early years. 
It's the first 30 years of church history. So from Jesus going up, ascending, so he's died, he ascends back to heaven. Then there's about 30 years where we've got recorded in the book of Acts. Okay, well, what happened? We read of numerous prayer gatherings, times where people would come together, and I'll just run us through some of them just to hopefully uh, lift our faith, raise our faith that, that God cares about prayer and that he, it's his chosen vehicle for the advancement of his purposes. So very early on, the 120 disciples that were uh, gathered together, they gathered in an upper room. They were praying together, waiting for uh, Jesus to send his Holy Spirit to be with them. He'd already said to the disciples, look, I'm not going to stay with you. I can't be here forever. I'm going to go and be with the Father, but I will send to you the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. He will teach you. He will show you what it looks like to follow me. He will dwell inside of you. So they were waiting for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that, that came as they were praying. Holy Spirit came. Gifts of tongues came. They communicated the gospel out to many people from different nations. A few more chapters into Acts, in Acts 4, when Peter and John reported that the Jewish authorities, they were threatening the early Christians. They were saying, look, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going we're gonna to arrest you. We're going to put you in jail. This is not going to go well for you. Okay, Peter and John, they received the threats. It's really a threat on the whole Christian community that is breaking out and the thousands and thousands of people that are being saved at that time. So they were receiving the threats. What happened next? Well, those in the early church gathered together. They cried out to God in one accord for boldness. And the place was shaken where they prayed. The Holy Spirit came. I wonder what you might have prayed for in that moment. Would it have been for safety? For peace in the land? We don't have that recorded. I don't know. Maybe we don't have the full record of the prayers. But they didn't pray for safety. They prayed for boldness. They prayed that in amongst the persecution, they prayed for boldness to share the gospel, to keep sharing the gospel and they encouraged one another in that. The church prayed also over, this in Acts 6, over the seven men who were appointed to serve the widows. Uh, there was a, you know, a bit of a dispute between uh, the Jewish widows and the Greek widows. And as they were being brought, the Hellenistic, yeah, um, were being brought together, um, there were problems arising. Not everyone was getting fed. And so the... Um, Essentially, the elders or the apostles were saying, look, we're getting drawn away from preaching God's word and praying. We're going to appoint some people. You let us know who you think it should be. Make sure they're full of the Holy Spirit. And then they prayed. They laid hands on them and they said, look, they will do it. They anointed them. They appointed them. And we take these opportunities to do that as well. Those were some of the early deacons. We take opportunities to do that as well. We had prayed for uh, Liz last year 
um, as she stepped into being a deacon. We also do that often with key sort of leadership roles that we just want to bring before the church and pray. We did that with Karis and Callum uh, for life groups uh, fairly recently as they've taken on uh, leading um, that. Um, just a quick plug for life groups. Like if you're not in a life group, these are our weekly gatherings where we follow Jesus together. We stay in com rich community uh, together. We support one another, love one another, pray together, uh, corporately pray together. If you're not in a life group, please do chat to me uh, afterwards. Callum and Karis are not around. Um, just stand up if you're a life group leader, please. Sorry to put you on the spot. Amazing. So a five-minute plug from each of you would be great. Uh, no, just uh, these are life group leads. You can chat to any one of these guys or girls, and uh, they will happily uh, chat to you and invite you along to uh, their life group. Okay. After James was, this in Acts 12, after James was martyred, so continued persecution, uh, Peter was imprisoned by Herod. What was the church doing? Fervently praying. Fervently praying. This wasn't just people like in their individual homes, like off, you know, so no one really knew what was happening. This was the church gathered together praying. They were fervently praying. This, it wasn't just a message sent out, like if they had WhatsApp, it wouldn't have just been a WhatsApp message sent out, please pray for this. This was gathered prayer. So they fervently prayed. And as a result, God miraculously delivered Peter from his jail cell and he was able to walk free. A wonderful answer to prayer. But the community of God came together during a trial. Their instinct was to pray. That was their first like pivot. It was trial, pivot, prayer. It's, it's just, okay, that is just default action, prayer. There's no thinking about it. Something happens, get together and pray. It was wonderful. Just um, one of the uh, families in the church has been having a tough time. And there's been uh, a few times where people have just said, look, let's gather together to pray. Just totally like, this wasn't elder-led, it wasn't like, we weren't saying you've got to do it. It was just people within the church saying, look, we, this is happening, we need to pray. Brilliant. Like, that's wonderful. It's that pivot prayer. Trial, okay, gather together, pray. Okay, it might just be for a few weeks. It might just be, let's pray on Zoom together for half an hour. Let's, let's just get together and pray. Wonderful. Through, through these prayer times, just seeing wonderful answers to prayer. Um, Shelley, it was wonderful to hear of your story there. That, thank you for sharing that. Um, just praying for, we've been praying for more, like over the years, praying for more older folk to join the church. Because when we started, um, that we're probably all, I don't know, under 30, just about, under 35. Now, we are all getting older so at some point, we will be answers to our own prayers, I guess, uh, which is great. Uh, but if you would consider yourself older, not looking at anyone, you're an answer to prayer, which is wonderful. <laughs> uh, that's just so good. We need the depth of spiritual fathers and mothers within the church. That's why we were praying for it. Otherwise, we're just really, in one sense, a bunch of teenagers just, you know, 
bundling about. We need the spiritual fathers and mothers to help us. We spent a lot of time praying about our worship times together and sensed God saying, look, this is going to be a key part of uh, softening the soil around the community to be open to the gospel of Jesus. So we've been praying about that, and it's been wonderful to see just out of those prayers, just writing songs as well. We've been praying uh, about that. That's so good. We've been praying as well for um, just this sense of monthly salvation, uh, sorry, weekly salvations and monthly baptisms. And uh, it's, it's not to, that, that really is communicating a, a sense of regularity of salvation, um, we've got baptisms coming up, I think, on the 18th of February, coming up soon. Reuben is getting baptized, which is wonderful. Um, so if anyone else wants to get baptized, it's that first step of faithfully following Jesus. So if you want to get baptized, then that's a great day to do it. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you've never done it. And you just think, oh, it's been too long now. It's just awkward. Don't worry. Like, 18th of February, like, great time to do it. We, we want to see more, more salvations, more baptisms. So what do we need to do? Pray, yeah, and keep praying. And every time we pray, we might pray about the same things, but we'll keep praying. We've prayed for more life groups, and it's been wonderful this term to see uh, a group multiply into two, and new leaders come uh, forward to lead uh, the new group. And there's another group that's, uh, you know, getting big enough to multiply. So it's great to see new life groups being multiplied. It's a sign of growth. Obviously, it's painful in terms of relationships changing. But it's, it's growth in the sense of disciples being made and God's purposes being worked out. We've also prayed for provision of jobs and finances. And that's been wonderful just to see and journey with people because often that's the highs and the lows, isn't it? You know, of just people's lives and you're praying about something really meaningful, obviously, to them and really at times painful if it's like, you know, just need work, just need work. But just great to see God's uh, provision there. In Acts 13, talks about as the uh, church were gathering together, a group of people, and then the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Just from that verses, we just get that sense. So actually, as we gather together, we get the blessing, really, of the Holy Spirit speaking. Obviously, the Holy Spirit can speak to all of us, and he does, thankfully. But as we gather together, often the Holy Spirit brings things that are directional, things that bring, break situations open. And we get the excitement of that. I mean, thinking of them, they were being sent to plant more churches. We want to plant more churches. Okay, We're getting involved, obviously, serving and blessing Watton, which is great. But wouldn't it be great for us to have our own children, our own churches? I know there's, um, this, there's um, pioneering heart and gifting amongst us. So we will plant churches. So let's be praying, God, where, when, how? Trusting that he'll speak. 
So that's the, some of the New Testament. One writer, after studying a lot of these scriptures in, in Acts and the New Testament, said that the early church didn't have a prayer meeting. The early church was the prayer meeting. In fact, in the early church, every Christian was a prayer meeting Christian. They wouldn't have said, oh, are you coming to the prayer meeting? It was just they were so gathered together so regularly, so, praying so often that was just the heartbeat of the church. And that's really our heart that as, as fathers, as pastors in the church, that we, we want to stimulate, we want to grow in, we want to model ourselves. We know it's costly. We want to encourage you that this month, if you've taken steps to uh, grow in that and be obedient and take steps of faithfulness, in that, maybe getting along to more prayer meetings than you've ever been to, well done. Great. Keep that up. Don't let just turning into February be like, oh, now it's a break. And I can feel my heart just tense like that's been a busy month of prayer. <laughs> it's been some early mornings, some, you know, just some commitment there. So I can feel that sense. Okay, let, let's resolve for that not to be the case. Let's keep pressing, pressing in. Okay, well, let me just finish by just bringing some clarity on what maybe what might be your one step forward. Before we do that, I just want to, it's been wonderful that like all the songs we've sung, just the gospel has been like dead center. Before we talk about making steps and, and resolving to uh, take action, I just want to remind us that we're talking here about priorities, we're talking about heart stuff, and so we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We must remind ourselves of the gospel, that it's a gospel of grace, and the gospel of grace is not about trying harder. It's not about being a better person. Nothing that we do saves us, either at the start or on any day subsequently. We don't please our Father more just by being a better person. We please him by accepting everything that he's done for us in Jesus Christ, which is dying for us, laying down his life for us, taking our sin, taking our rebellion against Jesus before we came, any of us came to Jesus, and he, when he drew us, before any of us did that, we were in rebellion against him. We'd turned our backs on him, chosen to live life our own way. Jesus died. He took that sin. He took the punishment for it as well, which was death. It was the wrath of God. He took that on himself when he died. But because he's the son of God, he rose again to new life. He was not defeated by Satan, sin, or death. He overcame those things. And that's the new life that he brings. Everlasting life, conquering life, indestructible life, glorious life. That's the wonderful life that we live in. So as we're talking about trying to increase our commitment to corporate prayer, we're going to do that from a place of sonship, of daughtership. We're going to do that from a place of knowing that we're loved, 
by God, knowing that we're accepted by him, knowing that we're cherished by him. That's the place to do it from. But I trust that you felt a certain sense of conviction, hopefully, to prioritize corporate prayer. We, just some action points quickly. You could join with us for our monthly Saturday prayer meeting. We're just, we were starting to just maybe talk this week just about like what what are the patterns that we might change as a result of the month of prayer. So what I'm going to outline now is not necessarily what we will land on in the future, although it might be, um, maybe it'll be similar. But anyway, for now, join us for our monthly Saturday prayer meeting. Just want to say, maybe it might need a reorganization of life. One reason I hear for not coming is that people like their lions. Okay, I would say it's once a month. I think we can do it. (laughs) I think we can do it. But maybe one reason you might feel you can't do it is maybe life is just too hectic. Maybe life just, maybe you just need a reorganization of life, a reprioritizing of commitments within the rest of the week. I get maybe if you've worked hard all week and then Saturday comes around and it's like, ah, okay, I get that. I do get that. But maybe just talk to people around you. Talk in your life group. Ask them how could, maybe help, ask people to help you reorganize your life. Because I think that needs to be in there first, a priority in the life of our church together. Maybe you have a family. Bring them along. Bring them along. It does get pretty noisy. You do have to really concentrate, like, when praying. But we, kids, if you're, any of you are listening, not really, okay. Um, we love having the kids there. As, like, for June I, we want the, our kids to be there because we want them to see us pray. If they're not there, like, and we just come off ourselves, then they're not going to see us pray. So they're not going to learn to pray. We want them to see that. They'll prioritize what we prioritize as they grow up. Which is sobering. <laughs> really sobering. Okay. But again, there might, not, might need to be a reprioritizing of commitments and, and life. Maybe you're not confident when praying in big groups. Just come and contribute your amen. Sit there in silence for an hour. Maybe just mumble amen. <laughs> That's fine. That's great. That agreement. So wonderful. And you will learn how to pray. As you, you know, you will grow in confidence over time. Saturday morning monthly prayer meeting. Tuesday morning prayer meetings with, with Joe, Johnny and others at half six. Do chat to those guys there um, about that. Um, continuing the Sunday morning prayer meetings, half nine, in the nearest classroom to the staff room. So that way, uh, just basically go down the corridor to the right and the nearest classroom on the right at 9.30 uh, for half an hour uh, to pray then as, as well. But this is just the beginning, we trust. <laughs> that as we just inject life into the uh, prayer, into the life of the church even more, uh, but also encourage you organically, like be praying calling others to pray, 
say, look, we're just going to pray for these few weeks about this thing, or we're going to pray about this thing until this, we see answers to prayer here. Okay, let's stand. Children, Spark, you guys have been so amazing, haven't they? They have been, you guys have done so well. Thank you so much. Um, these guys have been doing activity sheets, like coloring in prayer sheets, is that right? And doing your activity sheets, like maybe things that you've heard and stuff. I would, have, is there like a draw the preacher on there as well? Not, okay, fine. There usually is. So I'm glad for that. Oh, okay, um, fine. But I'd love to see your sheets afterwards. So I'll be probably to the side or I'll come over and have a look soon. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you have been with us this morning. We love gathering together to pray. And we pray that you just help us as a church to navigate our way through um, uh, through the next few months and years to cement our gatherings, our prayer gatherings, to be so central and so part of our DNA and so part of our desire to be together that we feel a sense of conviction. We, we must do this. We need to do this. Lord, help us. Lord, as a church, and help us individually, Lord, as we sense that, maybe that challenge, that uh, sense of like, oh man, that, that's hard, that's going to be tough, that's going to, I'm going to need to count the cost there, Lord. I pray, help us count the cost. Give us strength where we need it. Give us grace where we feel weak. Lord, we need your help. But we do trust that you'll bring us into beautiful, wonderful places of answered prayer as a result of it. And we look forward to celebrating so much more, Lord, of answered prayer as a result. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.